The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. You can kind of get in that frame of mind. I always call it bookhead, where I get kind of just so buried in the story that I'm writing is I, I forget to do other stuff like, you know, go outside or eat. And it's very, very easy to kind of get yourself sort of boresight on, on what particular thing you're doing. You know, I'll just write a couple more pages. I'll just get to the end of this chapter and what have you. I think you have to remind yourself to, to just stop and, and do regular human stuff, go outside, you know, touch grass drink water and it's it sounds simple but it's it's very easy to kind of lose track of and the other thing is to is to main, maintain your network of, of friends and family even if you're not seeing them you know even if you're just talking to them on skype or over the telephone is make sure you keep that human connection going because it can be very isolating if you don't have that And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. New York Times bestselling author James Swallow returned to chat with me about the solitary life of a writer, his undying love of 80s and 90s cinema, while you're only as good as your last title in his latest novel, Dark Horizon. James is the award-winning New York Times, Sunday Times, and Amazon number one bestselling author and former journalist, as well as British Academy of Film and Television Arts nominated scriptwriter, has written for video games, TV, and radio. His latest, Dark Horizon, described as stemming from a fatal crash and brutal murder in an English village that sets off a deadly chain of events leading from the stormy skies over the Mediterranean to an explosive confrontation in a remote airstrip in North Africa. The prolific author of over 50 titles and millions of books in print worldwide has written sci-fi for storied franchises including Star Trek, Doctor Who, Stargate, and best known for his espionage thrillers. In this file, James and I discussed the definition of bookhead, what it's like for a novelist to be stuck in an airport, why he makes his protagonist deliberately fallible, how video games have eclipsed most popular media, why you can't automate the hardest part of writing, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, or you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. 
Yes, we are back on the Writer Files. I am honored today to have the return of a legend, James Swallow, joining us today. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this today, James. Oh, Kelton, thank you so much for saying that. You're very sweet to say that about me. I appreciate that greatly. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, Okay, so as we were just kind of reminiscing, it has been approximately three years since last we spoke. So basically... You know what? What the difference a pandemic makes? I can't wait to catch up with uh, what you've been up to the last few years. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, you know, the crazy thing about the pandemic was is that everybody else around me was suddenly saying, "Oh my God, I have to work from home. I have to stay indoors and do everything." And I was like, "Welcome to the writer's life. This is every day for me. You know, this is this is what it's like being you know being stuck indoors and having uh, having my office in my house." It was, it was funny for me because my my wife started remote working. Um, and it was completely new to her. I set up an office for her in the in the downstairs living room, and I gave her all of my hints and tips. And I said, "Okay, this is you know, this is what to do to stop yourself from going stir crazy. This is how these are all the things, the hard learned lessons that I've had over the years of of being somebody working in in their own home, in their office, in their own home." Um, and it was just interesting to see somebody else going through all of that. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're kind of working through when you start the uh, solitary life of you know not only the lockdowns and whatnot but you know of just being a writer as you mentioned um yeah what are some of those tricks that you use i know i know we've talked about some of these before but um just remind us yeah some of the things some of the techniques that you use to keep from from going stir crazy well the important thing is you know um it's the basic stuff really you know go out for a walk make sure you hydrate um it's very easy especially i think as a writer you can kind of get in that frame of mind, I always call it bookhead, where I get kind of just so buried in the story that I'm writing is I, I forget to do other stuff like, you know, go outside or eat. And it's very, very easy to kind of get yourself sort of boresight on, on what particular thing you're doing. You know, I'll just write a couple more pages. I'll just get to the end of this chapter and what have you. I think you have to remind yourself to, to just stop and, and do regular human stuff, go outside, you know, touch grass, drink water. And it's it sounds simple, but it's it's very easy to kind of lose track of. And the other thing is to is to main, maintain your network of, of friends and family, even if you're not seeing them. You know, even if you're just talking to them on Skype or over the telephone, is make sure you keep that human connection going, because it can be very isolating if you don't have that. One hundred percent. Yeah, all great reminders for sure. Yeah. So, in three years, um, you've obviously been busy, and you've been been continuing to write and publish. Um, and last we spoke, you had um, just released Rogue, which was the fifth in your uh, Mark Dane series, of course, a very prolific and, and successful series. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about kind of, yeah, what what uh, projects you've been working on since last we spoke and um, what's coming up. So I, I followed up. Um, that with my next Mark Dane novel, which was Outlaw, that was book six in the series. Um, and that kind of brought that cycle of stories to, I won't say a conclusion, because that kind of makes it sound like I'm never going to write that guy again. And I fully intend to do more Mark Dane stories. But it was kind of like the end of that phase of storytelling. I, I, I often talk about the way the, the Marvel guys do with their feature films. You know, they talk about the different phases of the Marvel movies and how they've kind of bookmarked that and i thought well that's a really interesting way of approaching it so i kind of did that with my mark dane novel so 
um, the, the final book, I say final in quotation marks, you know, brings the, the, the stories arcs that I had over the previous six stories all kind of together. And, uh, you know, they have the big confrontation with the big bad and the heroes, you know, have their sort of ultimate challenge there. And, and I ended it with them sitting on a beach, drinking a bottle of beer. And I thought, well, okay, they deserve to have a vacation now. So <laughs> I'm going to, and I'm going to let these characters take, take a little bit of time off. And I think also for myself as a creative, um, as much as I enjoyed writing them, I didn't want to be turning out a book about the same characters year on year. I've been doing it since 2016 at this point. And I felt like if I'm just writing about the same characters year on year, I'm going to get bored with it. And I don't want that to happen. So, you know, I wanted to kind of go away, refresh myself, kind of creatively refill my tank. And I thought, well, what am I going to do there? Let's do something with a different sort of tone to it, still within the thriller space, but something that is not quite kind of as bombastic and widescreen as the Mark Dane novels. Let's draw the focus in, do something a little bit tighter, a little bit more compact. And that led me to write Airside, which is very much kind of... Um, the, the similar sort of USP, I guess, to my Mark Dane novels, whereas the, the main character is uh, somebody who's a little bit out of their depth, who's kind of always trying to struggling to keep up and is, you know, this beleaguered character who comes out of it bloody but unbowed. That's definitely a kind of common thread in all of my fiction. But in the case of Airside, it's very much about an ordinary guy who is, you know, finds himself in, in a terrible situation. It's about a guy who is traveling on a, on a flight home from Europe. It's the last flight out. He gets bumped off his flight and he's stuck in this airport where there's a storm going on. So he can't even leave the building. And it's, you know, if you've ever missed a flight, if you've ever been bumped, you know, you know what it's like being in that kind of weird sort of no man's land of an airport. And, and he's in the situation, his career is collapsing around him. His, his company's going down the tubes. His whole life is just falling apart around him. And then he finds a bag of money in the airport restroom millions of euros the solution to all of his problems mm. just sitting there and the question is what does he do with it he can take the money but he can't run there's nowhere he can go and does he take the money who does the money belong to well it belongs to a bunch of, of unpleasant people uh, and they want their money back and the he makes this one bad choice and it just spirals out of control and his evening just gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> and that's and that's the core idea of, of, of Ersa. I really liked the concept when I came up with it because I thought it really sort of resonates with people because everybody looks at that and ask, the question they immediately ask themselves is, well, what would I do in that guy's shoes? And I think it helps people to kind of really connect to the character. So that was Airside. Um, that came out last year and, and, and that's, done, uh, that's done very well. And I am following it up this year, in fact, with a new release tomorrow as we're recording this with Dark Horizon, which is uh, the second of my, my standalone stories. Again, I'm trying to uh, write something here with, with a little bit more of a narrower focus than my Mark Dane novels. It's about a, um, a private jet pilot who has a dark secret in her past, and she's basically forced into flying a, a dark flight, a rendition flight, carrying a... Uh, a host, uh, I'm sorry, not a hostage, a, 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 a terrorist suspect off to be taken to this black site in the middle of nowhere. And she doesn't want to do it. And this guy claims he's innocent, but there's a conspiracy floating around the whole situation. It's like, who's telling the truth? You know, what is really going on here? And she finds herself caught in the middle of this when um, people who are working with the, the, the terrorist suspect capture her family and basically force her to hijack her own aircraft. 
And it's the same kind of pressure cooker situation. It's, you know, I'm, I'm putting my characters in a box and I'm shaking that box up, dialing up the tension on them. Uh, and again, hopefully it kind of has that sort of what would I do in that situation kind of immediacy to it that I think readers really connect to. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah, it's interesting with these standalone novels because I know you had talked some when last we spoke about, you know, you're kind of being drawn to this, as you put it, this kind of high speed, high octane, low drag, like these thrillers inspired by the 80s and 90s. And, and you know, I'm, <clears throat> when I think of the 80s and 90s, of course, I think of, you know, some fantastic cinema as well, um, including, you know, films like Die Hard and I'm sure that we could we could wax uh, philosophical about some of these influences again, but yeah, talk a little bit about kind of the genesis and the inspiration for these pressure cooker situations that you know you're kind of putting the reader in that situation, obviously um, using these well-worn uh, storytelling techniques. But yeah, talk a little bit about kind of again going back to the the conceit. Well, you're absolutely right there. There's, there's definitely, um, you know, I'm, I'm paying back my love of stories like, you know, like Die Hard, that kind of thing. I, I love that, that concept of, of just the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, you can immediately feel for a character who's in those sort of circumstances. And I think there's a kind of visceral energy, a, a kind of propulsive action that immediately just kind of blossoms out of being put in that situation. So, yeah, definitely. Um, 
you know, Airside very much is kind of my love letter to Die Hard, you know. And and, and what I wanted to do with that was I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to take, as you say, what is kind of, you know, a, a familiar trope and a, a familiar concept of, of this sort of pressure cooker situation. And I'm asking myself, well, well, how do I make it different? You know, how do I bring something to this, put my own unique stamp on it? And for that, I, I really kind of dive deeply into into the characterization to try and make that feel different and interesting to to make the characters as compelling as I could possibly could possibly do. Because so many heroes, I've, I've said this before, so many heroes I find in action stories are kind of these Teflon-coated good guys who kind of just sail through all their problems. And as much as it is fun to, to watch guys do that, you know, because it is mostly guys, let's be honest, um, I, I like characters who have to have to work a little harder at it. So certainly the, the main character in Airside, Kevin, he's a bit of a screw-up. And I deliberately made him like that. You know, he's, his uh, core problem is that, you know, his, his life is falling apart around him, but he has, uh, you know, this, this, he's estranged from his daughter and he's, he's doing his best to try and be the best father he can, but he just keeps getting in his own way, keeps putting his foot in his mouth. And, you know, he desperately loves this girl and she loves him. And then they have that kind of relationship where, you know, they know they love each other, but they just can't get past the parts of their personality that don't work and they're trying really really hard and it's just get out of your own way don't overthink it and maybe you could just have a happy relationship and to me that felt like really true and real and i thought take a guy like that who's just trying to be a good man but he just keeps making bad choices and he keeps on he keeps on failing and i think we can we can really sort of connect with that and and as in the course of the story, you know, the, the arc that he takes is finally he kind of grows out of that cycle of mistakes he keeps making. And he, he makes this one huge mistake in the course of the story. And it's like the thing that breaks the cycle and, and allows him to kind of finally get out of this self-destructive loop that he's in. And um, that was the, the, the thing that I, I really enjoyed writing the most. But as for the core concept of it, you know, the initial germ of the idea for that was actually inspired by, by a real event. That, uh, that I read about in a newspaper uh, several years ago about a guy in um, in an airport in South America who who, as the story says, walked into the men's room, found a duffel bag full of money, opened it up, you know, millions of U.S. dollars. It was in, um, I think it was in Brazil or somewhere like that. He finds this bag of money, um, and immediately, of course, you know, you read that and you think, wow, what would I do if I found a bag of money? Who's it belong to? Yeah, where is it going? Who left it there? Uh, and so the story goes is, is the the guy turned it into the police and it turned out that what it was is it was actually it was drug money it was being taken to an exchange and the 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 courier had seen police officers at the airport and panicked dumped the money and ran and uh, this hapless ordinary guy finds it and i just thought as soon as i read that i thought that's the beginning of a thriller story right there um and so i, I kind of put that in my pocket and i thought i'll come back to that and, and then when i found myself you know wanting to do something a little bit different from the Mark Dane novels immediately. I was like, this is the concept. And because it's a great high concept, you know, you can just drop that idea and, and everybody immediately understands what this novel is going to be about, what kind of, of character that person is and, and what situation it is. And, and hopefully they can, they can connect with it. Similarly with, um, with Dark Horizon, that was also inspired by, uh, by a news item that I read is, um, where I, where I live now um, in Kent, just outside of London, is I'm quite close to uh, a small um, air, airfield. And there was, a, uh, there was a scandal. This was kind of in the early 2000s 
about uh, these rendition flights where um, the, the British Secret Service and the American Secret Service were working together, taking these people who were terrorist suspects, transporting them to countries with no extradition treaty and a very kind of loose handle on the idea of interrogation and, and you know, human rights, and, and putting these people in these, uh, these black site prisons. And all of this was like, you know, none of this stuff is legal. And it was, you know, it, it was all a very, very big deal. And this was happening, you know, just kind of a few miles away from where I live, these business jets flying over my house. And I'm reading this article, I'm thinking, you know, that to me is an interesting, you know, it's a, obviously it's a terrible situation. It's a terrible thing. But to me, my, my kind of thriller writer, looking at it through my thriller writer glasses, I'm immediately thinking, that's the beginning of a story. Is what happens to somebody on one of those aircraft? What if you, if you had to fly that plane, you didn't want to do it? What if you're the person, you know, on that aircraft and you're claiming you're innocent? Or are you a good guy? Or are you a bad guy? And how do these, how do these two people, how do their situations mesh together? And immediately, I'm like, this is this is the star of a thriller story. So that's where I, I drew that from. And again, with with Dark Horizon, I wanted to kind of do the same thing that I did with Airside. Is how do I come up with an interesting character that I anchor that on? And uh, the character there was, uh, I, for, for Dark Horizon, I decided to go for a female lead. Um, this character, Kate Hood, she's an ex-military fighter pilot, down on her luck, has this you know, dark secret in her past that she's just trying to escape that she can't get away from. And she um, finds herself in this situation where she's flying these executive jets, usually for just kind of you know, rich kids jetting off down to the Balearic Islands. And then she discovers that her boss has a sideline in, uh, in these dark rendition flights, and she's pushed into uh, flying one of these aircraft and it just basically spirals out of control from there. Yeah, that's interesting because I do remember that particular time in history and kind of um, that, you know, that news kind of coming out and, and breaking it was, uh, you know, but not shocking, right? Because <laughs> these governments have, have operate, you know, have, obviously have operatives that work in, secret and um you know it, it is interesting to think that you know just an ordinary pilot obviously i mean who else is flying these jets they're not all you know operatives right some of them are just normal people yeah it's the, what interests me about that is i think it's true of both of the books is where the the clandestine dark world of of like espionage and of criminality where that sort of bumps into the world of the everyday normal people like the rest of us is that stuff is going on all the time. You know, that, that, that sort of dark world is thundering about unseen above our heads. And most of us, we just, we just cruise along. We never see it. And it's interesting to me that when you take a character, an ordinary person, and you, you know, you suddenly kind of expose them to that, the, the sharp end of that. And suddenly the, the, the kind of the coating over the world falls away and it's like actually all of this dark stuff is bubbling away underneath and you just don't even know it's there. And I think that's really dramatically compelling. Yeah, I've always found that same same um, kind of phenomenon where, you know, you're just like perusing some headlines and all of a sudden it's like, I remember a few years back, probably many years back, reading about this gentleman in Los Angeles that had like this apartment full of, cash and weapons and but ju had just kind of disappeared right and but but that no one really had any idea what this guy was doing with all this cash and all these weapons like it was just like a, a, a strange mystery and this guy just kind of like dis you know suddenly disappears one day but nobody actually knows why all this stuff is here 
See again, that's that that feels to me like chapter one of a thriller, right? It's like, who is that guy? Was he like a? Right. Is it like a kind of Jason Bourne type thing? You know, that was his safe house, and there's all yeah. these guns, and there's a box full of passports and different nationalities, and all that kind of you know, totally. cash in different foreign currencies. Is it one of those kind of things, or was he just like? Was he like an arms dealer, or was he like a Crazy. criminal guy? Yeah. He's a, you know, by day he's a school teacher, by night he's an national assassin. You know. What's the mm-hmm. and and where did he go? Right, you 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 can imagine that story starting is like, what well, if the, the the guy who lives next door to him comes into his house to water his plants and feed his cat and find, oh my god, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a sniper rifle and a rocket launcher. Who hell is you know Mr. Johnson who lives next door to me turns out to be something terrible. You know that's uh, that's a yeah. cool idea. Yeah, it's like like you said, like this the, the, there's this very dark world that a lot of us just don't have any idea is happening. Just, just kind of. You know, and as you mentioned, like there is kind of this liminal space where nor- normal people um, kind of bump into this thing, and then all of a sudden they're faced with this this decision, as you put it. Um, See, I, you hit the word. I always love that word, liminal. I think that's a it's an interesting term. You know, th- th- there are a lot of of those spaces that we pass through every day that we just don't notice. I mean, it's part of the reason I wrote Airside is airports are a very liminal space. You know, you when you go from ground side to airside, you know, technically you've left the place that you're in, but you haven't actually got on the plane and you haven't actually technically left the ground. So it's like, are you in this country still? Or does, you know, what does that zone exist? Where, where does that space exist? And in, and in places like that, that's where the, the kind of the interface between the, the everyday world and, and the, the strange and the darker world becomes very thin, you know, the, and that world can be the world of espionage or criminality. And it's a place where, you know, you pass through it and you're not aware that you're kind of, you know, you're inches away from something that could be, you know, dark and dangerous. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Congrats on the latest. Obviously, um, the name of that one again is Dark Horizon. Of course, I'll link to your home base there at jswallow.com per usual. But yeah, really, really cool stuff, James. Thanks so much for taking the time to to wrap again. I know it's been a minute. Um, and as the only British writer to have ever worked on Star Trek, is this still a thing? Is this is this still a standing? Uh, <laughs> So far, um, so far, I uh, no, no, I don't think anybody's come and knocked me off my perch yet. I think if they do, I'll just change <laughs> it to the first British Star Trek writer. I'll be, I'll be cool about that. But yeah, I mean, I'm uh, still doing, I'm, I'm still doing a little bit of uh, on, up on the final frontier, still writing the odd little bit here and there. Um, just done a couple of short stories recently. You know, 
I love Star Trek. It's it's you know it's something that gave me such a, such enjoyment when I was a kid and and still does to this day. And there's so much of it around right now. It's like it's the best time to be a Trekkie with all these different Star Trek shows uh, coming up. And 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 uh, I'm really I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's a kind of embarrassment of riches for me as a as a fan of that franchise. And and I continue to to come back to it because it's something I just feel really comfortable with. It's like a it's like a comfortable pair of shoes. Someone says to me, "Do you want to do a Star Trek story?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just fit right back in there." <laughs> pick up with those characters and and then slide right into it you know it's uh, it's a lot of fun it's a happy place yeah. for me that's cool um well you seem to have persevered the uh the dark days and and um kind of following still following your passion for high octane storytelling um of course kind of going back to your origin story um you know as a novelist and kind of like um you know a, you know a fan um doing you know fanzines and that kind of stuff back back in the early days do you think that this journey for you um you know where, what's next where, where, where are you kind of what are you angling towards now i mean i know obviously you're promoting dark horizon but like what do you see what do you see on your own horizon there you know it's a good question um I always like to say it's a it's a bit of a glib answer. People say, "Oh, you know, what, what are you doing next?" And it's like, "Well, my next book will be the best one," and it's always the next book will be the best one. You know, I, I think on a on a most basic level, I just want to keep improving as a writer. I just want to keep, you know, honing my craft. And and I think you know the the thing you realize is once you you make the decision that you're going to be a jobbing full time writer that you want to do that as a career, you realize that, that there isn't an end goal point. You know, there is not there's not a place you reach and you go, "Okay, well, I'm done now." It, it's it's a journey. Yeah. It's a it's a constant journey, and that journey is you know get better at your craft, is continue to build your audience, and and hopefully just just keep telling cool stories. Right now, I'm I'm in a really good position. Um, I'm having a lot of, of great opportunities come to me, and uh, it's taken me a long while to get here. And I feel like, well, you know, this is this is great. What can I do next? What what more stories can I tell in this world? I'd like to go back and tell more stories about Mark Dane. Um, that's definitely something I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm looking at some other sort of standalone story ideas. Um, I might be doing some more uh, video game projects. I've have been I've been off of doing video games for quite a while. I've done a little bit of stuff on those here and there or through my career, mm. but it's, it's been a while since mm-hmm. I did anything with a, a big profile, and I'm I'm looking at doing that. I'm in a good position um, professionally because I'm I'm having opportunities come to me now thanks to the the work that I've done. Um, but it's you know it, it's. Um, I can't kind of rest on my laurels, you know, because you're only as good as your last piece mm-hmm. of work. You're only as good as your last book. You know, you can't just sit there and, and hope um, some serendipity is going to fall in mm. your life. I think you still have to get out there and, and hunt it down. And I, I haven't got bored with that yet. I think if I, if I ever reach the situation where I feel like it's just too much effort, maybe that's time to kind of, you know, throw in the towel, but I'm not there right now. I'm looking <laughs> for the next, the next exciting thing. You know, I'm looking for the next cool idea, you know, reading the newspaper, looking for that next interesting thing where like that's the there's a story right there there's the seed of a story that's that's where i am right now yeah and as you put it kind of like finding the seeds to the next great idea um does often just come from you know as we had mentioned before just kind of bumping into these liminal spaces that inspire you just have to kind of move through the world. I think eyes and ears open. You know, it's there's a there's an Isaac Asimov quote. I think about something along those lines. It's like you know the writer kind of continues through the world, listening. You know, you you listen to the people around you. You absorb as much as you can, and you just have that kind of unconscious synthesis of ideas 
bubbling away. And sometimes it feels like suddenly an idea will, will percolate up to the surface. You know, oh, where did that come from? And it's like, actually, you know, that idea has been in your head for a, for a long time. It's just waiting for the right combination of things to kind of accrete around it. And then suddenly there's the core of a story. I love that um, feeling, you know, when that happens. It's, that feels like that kind of magic lightning bolt of like, oh, this will make a great story. This is exciting, you know, and that's the thing I'm always constantly questing for. When's, what's the next one of those? What's the next story idea that will excite me and engage me? Well, um, yeah, that's interesting that you were thinking about also going back to um, the video game world, which has, uh, I mean, holy cow, the, the successes of some of these titles um, far eclipse some some film, you know, like some big budget Hollywood movies now, right? No, that's true. You know, I often talk to friends of mine who are screenwriters and kind of people tend to look down on games a little bit as it's kind of perceived as like, oh, you know, games are for kids, right? It's just like, a, it's just a sort of frivolous, silly little thing. And then you tell them about the budget and their eyes widen. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, actually this is, you know, this, this frivolous little video game. Well, this has the budget of like, you know, a Marvel superhero blockbuster. And, you know, and, and, and they make kind of huge, obscenely huge amounts of money. Um, not all of which unfortunately trickles down to the writers, but there you go. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an exciting place to be. It's, I, I mean, I like what I like about writing games is that it's, it's never just one job. It's not like you're just going to do a script for this scene or you're going to write a little bit of prose here or there. It's, there, it's 20, 30 different jobs. It's, it's the whole kind of creation of, of a narrative, not just in terms of writing scripts or like, you know, character biographies or little bits of sort of like color text. It's, it's all of that. It's that kind of holistic thing, creating an entire fictional world that you get your, your player steeped in is, you, you know, designing everything from, you know, the label on the side of a beer can, you know, what's the, what's going to be written <laughs> from that to the a billboard <laughs> on the side of the street to the, you know, the dialogue from the guy who's like selling you your sword before you go off on your quest to kill the dragon, all of that stuff. That's all written. That's all part of that written world. That's all part of the the tapestry of that grand narrative. Someone has to write that. Someone has to forge and, and carve that narrative. Uh, and to me, that's uh, it's a really exciting place to be because you're you're giving narrative and story to to your audience in a unique way. It isn't just delivered to them in the way that it is through uh, you know you watch a movie or you read a book. You know the the storyline is kind of handed to you, but if you're in a video game, you know, you go out and you, you hunt that story down, you know, you, instead of it being delivered to you, you know, you, you gather it up as it were. And I think that always makes the audience kind of take ownership of that story in a much more visceral, much more personal way, because they're discovering that narrative rather than just sort of, you know, someone else telling them the story. Fascinating. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. What do you make of, if, if you, before we wrap up here, um, quickly, what do you make of the um, writer's strike in Hollywood? Does that, does that touch your world at all? Does that kind of bump up against some of the things you do? Well, you know, a lot of uh, my friends and colleagues are WJ members, and uh, I absolutely stand four square behind them and support them wholly uh, in the choices and the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the actions that they're, they're, they're undertaking there. I think they are, br- they are bringing some very, very real concerns to, to the table, not just the, the issues with um, you know how they're adequately compensated for for the, their work on streaming services, but also these issues of you know what does AI technology mean for all of us as writers? 
Uh, I think that that's that's something that we really do need to keep a serious eye on because um, I worry that that technology, rather than putting me out of a job, I don't I, I don't see you know an AI is going to turn up and write a perfect novel. I don't see that. I don't think technology is there yet. But what I what does concern me is that I think that that technology may be used to kind of flood the market with garbage essentially is that is that it will be it will make it easy to produce material that is not good and then with that deluge of poor material it will be difficult for good writing to kind of raise its head uh, above the tide and i think that's the for certainly for somebody like me as a as a novelist i think that's something that is is, is deeply concerning and that we need to be you know as writers, we need to say, you know, well, my work is 100% human made and uh, look very seriously about what we want the spread of AI technology to to mean to us in the future. Um, yeah, 100%. And that is a, a great, great point about AI. I thought it was fascinating recently also to read that some um, science fiction you know, uh, publications that publish these short stories had been just flooded with submissions that were obviously created with AI. And that's just, that's horrific. <laughs> Such a horrific idea. I mean, it sounds like a bad science fiction story in itself, doesn't it? That the idea of just being deluged. <laughs> material, you know, it sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. I mean, I think it, it, it seems to me that the, the people who are championing these ideas are not people who are writers. There are people who maybe want to be writers but don't want to put the work in. Think like you know, well the, you know, there's there's that perception that I think you get where, from people who are not writers is people people who are not writers think that the hard part of writing is coming up with the ideas, and that's not true. We all know if we're a writer, you know, the hard part of writing is writing. Is that the ideas often are the easier part to find the kind of the, because every writer I think has got like a, a trunk full of twenty, thirty, or hundred ideas that you know that they would love to do if they had the time and here comes this technology and they say well you know you don't have to do the hard part now is that you know this machine will do it for you but the thing is is, is where the hard part is where where the craft and the character and the nature and the structure of what writing really is that's where that blooms and i don't think you can automate that yeah that's amazing james thank you so much for um taking the time to do this today obviously um, congrats on your latest Dark Horizon. Of course, again, I will link to your home base there. Um, and you are on Twitter as well. So we'll catch up with you, kind of keep keep tabs on what's going on over there. Um, but yeah, best of luck with everything, man. And hope hopefully we can wrap again in, in the future um, about whatever you got going on. But um, yeah, thank you again for your words, your wisdom and uh, inspiration. Well, thank you, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's always great to chat. Um, I uh, hope I can do it. Let's, let's not leave it so long next time. 100%. Yeah. It's kind of like we, we all survived the pandemic and it's like, oh yeah, hey, oh, right. Here's this fantastic, uh, writing community. And, and yeah, no, always amazing to chat with you. Um, but I do look forward to talking again sooner than three years from now. Me too. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. 